Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Hello, everyone, and welcome new listeners to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. I'm Mark Ellis, a Rotten Tomatoes correspondent and stand-up comic. And I'm Jacqueline Coley. I'm an editor at Rotten Tomatoes, where I cover independent film and awards. And Jacqueline, you know what we used to say around these parts is that fresher rotten is just the start of the conversation. (laughs) Never has that been more true than with the culmination of, in my opinion, the greatest and most important film franchise in history, Star Wars. This episode is Episode 9, Rise of Skywalker. And here's the big question about this movie. Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about their 51% rotten score on the tomato meter, or the 86% fresh that it got from audiences. So we're going to be doing a deep dive into this with a very special guest who, yes, kids, has actually written the book, well, a book on Star Wars. But before we get into all that, Jacqueline, um, I have a question for you. What is this movie about? To quote uh, the great Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker from the trailer of The Last Jedi, this is not going to go the way you think. This is the <laughs> final installment of the original Star Wars saga, which of course centers in on our two main leads, Kylo Ren. This is the disgraced son of Han Solo and General Leia. And he is maybe going to find his way back from the dark side. We also have Rey and the rest of the Resistance fighters trying to deliver intelligence from a spy that Palpatine has been found. Chewie, BB-8, 3C-3PO are all back and they are trying to essentially knock down the dark side and the Sith for the last time. And maybe add in a little love story between the villain and our heroine, just at the very end for fun. Wait, wait, did, did you say Palpatine? Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay, this is exciting now. So that's your very loose, and I think Jacqueline would agree with this. There's yeah. only so many words you can get in a synopsis yes. before it's like, you really got to see this movie. Yeah, you it's just got to see fast. this movie. And like, and there's Lando Calrissian, and there's a whole bunch of other things. They get to a cantina, but I'm just like, let's just get into the meat and potatoes on this thing. <laughs> Uh, that is Jacqueline, and we also have producer Lucy on board. So, Lucy, want to give you some mic time here because I know that you are a lover of things Star Wars, and you celebrate the movies when you're in the theater. And then, what I'm told is that you get emotional as soon as you leave the theater for varying reasons. Yeah, it's hard. Hi, everyone. It's hard for me to um, understand what I just saw because the first films I ever saw 
in the theater were the original Star Wars movies. So I am a fan, but these movies, you know, as I've gotten older, I, I, I still don't know what I think about them, to be honest. I'm undecided. I love the universe, but sometimes I, I walk out of the theater sad. Mm. Undecided. Okay, that, that might be a personal thing. I'm not sure why you're walking out of a theater sad, but <laughs> with Star Wars, I always go to talk about this movie with my friends, with colleagues, with people. I've never met Jacqueline. I brought it up on first date because if you can't at least appreciate that I'm a fan of Star Wars and the lessons it teaches, then we probably are not meant to be together. So with all of that, we're going to bring in right now, can't wait any longer, very special guest who has, I said, written a book on Star Wars. It's called 100 Things Star Wars Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. He's also the host of Nerdist News and has a bunch of other things going on in his life and his career. And I'm so happy he was able to take the time out to come take one last look at his friends. Well, actually, it's not going to be the last look. It's just the next to last look for Dan Casey. What's up, Dan? How you doing, bud? Hey, thank you so much. I think the last time I saw my friends was probably around when Rise of Skywalker came out because I've been holed up in my own personal uh, space bunker over here uh, just (laughs) riding this thing out. But what better time to talk about movies in the galaxy far, far away? Thank you so much for having me. It is one of the perks of this business is that occasionally you get to go to like a fancy movie screening or, or God forbid, even a premiere. And probably that night of Rise of Skywalker afterwards, they go all out. They close down Hollywood Boulevard and there's giant tents with food and booze and it's all free. They had happy meals. And there's probably a conversation that Jacqueline, Dan and I got into at some point during those festivities. And now we're going to just run that back here because we're talking about Rise of Skywalker. It's been such a controversial movie, Dan, not necessarily from the standpoint of, say, A Last Jedi, but it feels like this movie is either the fans got it right with their 86% audience score or the tomato meter got it right with a 51% score. So as far as the tomato meter itself goes, Dan Casey, is it right or is it wrong? In this case, I have to say that I think the tomato meter is right. He's going right on the tomato meter, and I'm sure that answer is going to be defended with vigor. We'll figure out where Jacqueline stands. We'll figure out where I stand on it. We know that Lucy probably liked it while she's watching it, and then she went out of the theater, and she had herself a good cry because there's no better cry than driving home from a movie theater. So we're going to get into all of this, talk about the characters, talk about the the behind-the-scenes, everything that went into the formation of this, the reaction afterwards, and now we bring in the man who is the review curator at Rotten Tomatoes. He's an expert on all things critics, fans, what they talked about at the time of the release, which, as Dan said, was the last time we were allowed out in the world. And that is our own Tim Ryan. So, Timmy, take it away. Thank you, Mark. So, after the critical triumph of The Last Jedi, Solo was the next film in the Star Wars franchise. And at 69%, it didn't do badly on the tomato meter, but I guess there was a sense of disappointment among some critics and audience members in terms of where the Star Wars franchise was at, even if it was decidedly a side project. So when Rise of Skywalker came out, there was a bit of anticipation, like this is the film that's going to cap this new trilogy. And at least where the critics were concerned, it was a bit of a mixed bag. It's at 51% on the tomato meter with 496 reviews, and it is an 86% audience score. So what did some of the critics have to say? In a rotten review, Tasha Robinson of Polygon wrote that 
Even as the rise of Skywalker's characters claim their ultimate triumph, the film feels clumsy, hurried, and above all, like an admission of creative defeat. On the other hand, in a fresh review, Julie Washington of the Cleveland Plain Dealer wrote, It's an exciting, absorbing, and emotional conclusion that lifts the entire franchise to new heights. So there were a decent number of critics who really liked this film and thought it was a satisfying ending to this trilogy. But among the critics that gave it negative reviews, there was a general sense that while the idea was that this was going to be like sort of a rousing, crowd-pleasing ending, that there was a sense that it muddled a lot of the Star Wars mythology, but also rushed to cram a lot of stuff into this movie. And as a result, they felt like a number of characters were shortchanged. So 51%, it's right down the middle with the critics, and that audience score, 86%, indicates that a lot of people in the general public got their money's worth. Yeah, look, uh, uh, critics were not shy about this film. Fans were not shy about this film because it is the last one in the Skywalker saga that we'll probably ever get, at least until they reboot the whole thing in seven years, right? I have a question for Dan. Do you remember the tweet uh, that you tweeted out at the premiere? Because, like, let's go ahead and say it. Yes, we are we are uh, L.A. entertainment journalists. We were all blessed to go to that <laughs> premiere. But do you remember what you tweeted out that night, Dan? Yeah, as a member of the coastal elite, I was so privileged to be there, and I'm fully cognizant of that fact. Uh, I remember when I first saw it, I enjoyed the film, but it did not hold up upon further scrutiny. And I think that you may take umbrage with this. I think I wrote that it was extremely horny. Yes, I remember this. I do remember yes. this. And it is horny. And we will get to more of that later. Exactly. One actually, so the movie. Yeah. The movie made you horny, or was no, it no, just no. the fact that it's The contents of the movie... I was I, I was not filled with a uh, bloodlust or lust of any sort uh, during this film. I just uh, felt like there is a palpable, not palpatine, sexual energy in that movie when I first watched it. <laughs> it didn't feel quite as strong upon subsequent viewings, but when I first watched it, I was like, okay, I mean, movie. The, the internet had given us like two years of foreplay too between Storm Pilot and, you know, Raylo and all of that stuff. Um, I tweeted because I had thoughts. J.J. Um, Abrams has certainly given us a lot to discuss. And I got so much crap for that tweet because everyone's like, oh, this is the biggest cop out. And the face of the earth, she's afraid. <laughs> and I'm like, well, this is the truth. <laughs> I, I, I'm firmly, and I think that my tweet has proven right. Mark, do you remember what you tweeted? I tweeted something to the effect of I had a blast with this. Like, I, I think it was just like, thank you, Star Wars, for all the memories and all that stuff. And like for not basically not tarnishing the legacy of the first eight. And as a matter of fact, how I feel about it now is that it added a lot to the legacy for the overall Skywalker saga. But anytime we get out of those things and tweet what I have learned from when I got I was a little baby and got invited to something like The Force Awakens, like what I tweet out after I see a movie, I am aware of the fact that most other people on earth did not get to see it yet. And especially with a Star Wars film, I am not in the business of ruining anything. I don't like people giving hints. I don't like people saying, ooh, wait until you find out who Ray's related to. I hate that stuff. And so I just wanted to stay as far away as I could from any spoiler territory. But that was then. And this is now, and we're going to get into all of those spoiler things. And so 
when it comes to a film like episode nine, there's so many tasks at hand and we got to wrap up this entire saga. We have to make everybody feel good at the end, but we also have to have a lot of conflict. And in this case, we got to bring back an all-time villain and we have to settle on relationships between characters. So there's a lot of scenes. And what it struck me again upon rewatching this movie last night, probably my 10th or 11th time watching it, it moves so fast that there's so many scenes, there's so many set pieces, and that, as a Star Wars fan, excites me to my core that we got to see so much in a galaxy far, far away. And so, Dan, if you're looking at this movie, maybe it was the first time you saw it, or maybe I know you didn't like it as much subsequent views, is there a scene that did capture that that Star Wars magic for you that, that you can still go back and celebrate? Yeah, I mean, there's two, actually, if you'll permit me. So the first one is when they are light speed skipping. They're in the Millennium Falcon, and they are being pursued by First Order TIE fighters. And uh, they keep pushing the Millennium Falcon. They keep jumping to light speed. And they do these short-distance jumps. And anytime you have a sort of space battle or a high-speed chase like that, it reminds me of what I loved so much about Star Wars in the first place. You know, it really taps back into that elemental energy of the series, this larger-than-life energy where you have these people... Uh, engaging in like sort of pulpy adventure in space and spaceships chasing each other across space and time as they jump to light speed repeatedly. It was such a thrilling thing that we hadn't really seen before. Took one of our favorite elements of the series or my favorite elements of the series and really pushed that to the end of its uh, sort of logical conclusion. And that was really exciting to see. But the other one, and it kind of took something that I wasn't a big fan of and made something positive out of it. So I was not a huge fan of the fact that uh, Palpatine was back from beyond the pale, but but when we finally see his spooky lair on Exegol, this thunderstorm nightmare planet that just oozes H.R. Giger energy, when you finally see his lair where he's pulling off the prestige with all these Snoke clones sitting in these like garish tubes full of green liquid, and he's hooked up to this machine like the Emperor of Mankind from Warhammer 40k, it is just so grisly and chilling and just is exactly what I want from someone as villainous as Sheev Palpatine, and it really just set the stage for what was to come. I was like, okay, look, I may not have been a fan of this narrative choice, but the way they set the stage for what's about to happen, I love. I love all the atmosphere they've built in just these few scenes. Snoke trained you well. I killed Snoke. I'll kill you. My boy. I made Snoke. I have been every voice you have ever heard inside your head. And when so, so you really like the first 10, 15 minutes of this movie because we get we, we get the hint of, of, of where Palpatine is or where the body that's going to be housing Palpatine is. And then we also get to see that light speed skipping because we're trying to steal some sort of coded message as the, the rebellion or, uh, you know, it's if it's if it's first order versus resistance, then the resistance is trying to now elude the first order. And Poe in his Top Gun Maverick best is like, I think that I need to do some light speed skipping, which is very dangerous. And that adds on to the mythology that we already know, because I'd put the lights of when you go into hyperspace, those blue lights right up there with the sound effect of a TIE fighter screech as far as just things that we instantly recognize as being trademark Star Wars and, and the things that get us excited about that. 
A hundred percent. Like anyone who's ever driven during uh, a snowstorm uh, has pretended <laughs> that they are like punching to light speed in the Millennium Falcon. And if you say you haven't, you were lying to yourself or you haven't seen these movies yet. Or they're doing yeah. the Back to the Future jump in fairness. To, to okay. be fair. That, yes, that's fair. That's hopefully fair. with less um, fire and lightning. You get a lot of fire and lightning in, in, in Palpatine's inner quarters, too. And I know that you may not be a fan of this movie necessarily, but Palpatine's lair did give us some things at the beginning of this movie. When we see this like Dr. Frankenstein laboratory that he has set up, excuse me, Frankenstein. And then at the end, <laughs> when we just have this epic lightsaber duel in front of a crowd of like sold out Madison Square Garden minions. Yeah, it's really interesting of both last. Jedi and Rise of Skywalker where anybody who fell on either side of this is great or this is bad it seemed like any like fight throne room scenes resonated in both of those so like the Snoke uh, lightsaber battle and then the Palpatine lightsaber battle were both loved by I think everyone who watched the movie including me and Dan did a great job of setting up like the atmosphere of it so I'm not going to go too into it needless to say the fight scene where you know all of the I don't even call them clone Palpatines I don't even know what you say like all of that the life force of your bond. A dyad in the force. A power like life itself. Unseen for generations. And now, the power of two restores the one true emperor. When you look at the throne room scene that that y'all seem to enjoy where we get to battle in front of the emperor we have an audience in front of the emperor and finally we sold tickets to watch a great lightsaber duel at the end i also love the outer realm of what's going on in that scene because we have spaceships flying all over the place and it is an epic space battle and it's the way to close out star wars one of the few criticisms that were lobbed at jj abrams after he made the force awakens was that well yeah the movie was great and it, it reestablished star wars and star wars is back and you got the big three and all that good stuff but we didn't really get like a cool outer space battle we we, we had some nice scenes in the snow but i, I want a real outer space battle and J.J. did not leave anything on the page with this battle because you get all these uh, squadrons coming in and you, you just get people. It, you just get people because this is the resistance versus the First Order and we're trying our best and it's not looking good. But then everybody shows up from all anybody you ever met in Star Wars. Lando comes in. Wedge Antilles. Come, how hard was it to get Dennis Lawson to sit in a fake cockpit <laughs> for five minutes to deliver one line? But we got Wedge back and it was just such a celebration of everything that I love Star Wars because my favorite film in all Star Wars canon is Return of the Jedi. One of the big reasons is because of that huge outer space battle we get at the end. So we get another one of those and it just filled me up with all of the the love that I have for these movies. There's just too many of them. But there are more of us, Poe. There are more of us. Look at this. Lando, <laughs> you did it! You did it! Nice flying, Lando! But I'll also give a shout out to Ray versus Kylo, not at the end, 
in front of the Emperor, but when they're battling on Endor, which is eventually Kylo Ren sort of gets redeemed in that scene. It's a little more than halfway through the movie, and that is when I think a very apropos cameo of Harrison Ford as Han Solo comes back, and he has this, this vision of his daddy, and then he gets healed, but then we also have Leia communicating with her son, and that's the sort of kind of redemption of Kylo Ren. Is it enough to get him back, make everybody feel comfortable with this guy at the office on Monday? Probably not, but he <laughs> did get Ray somewhat Has has no redeemed. problem sticking her tongue down his throat after that, though, so it's cool. <laughs> He's hey, too I'll handsome look. for war crimes. <laughs> a lot just, of women like bad boys. Look, John Oliver has been doing a bit about Adam Driver for the better part of two years, which they just paid off on his season finale, where he's just like, murder me with those cheekbones. This is what John Oliver is doing. This is not what I'm doing. But I will say, I think he was reading uh, Raylo fan fiction. For those that don't know, that is a, a meld together of Ray and Kylo Ren, this idea that we want them to be a couple. That's a shipping thing. That's an internet language for you want these two people to date. The same thing that happened with John Boyega and Poe, uh, sorry, John Boyega and Oscar Isaac with Poe and Finn. That is Storm Pilot, Stormtrooper, X-Wing Pilot. Just want to explain all the fandom language so all of you don't well, yell at me. The Raylo thing is interesting to me because th- that was just never something that I cared about all that much as far as I, I never needed any of the big three to have feelings for each other. I never needed the the good and the bad and the yin and the yang of the force, the, the diet and the force, so to speak. In terms of saving the galaxy or what that struggle is, I find that fascinating. But just as far as them being attracted to each other, never really got me out of bed in the morning. But I think that this is a symptom of the Star Wars universe is that but you must not have you must not have had a sickness for thickness like so many Raylo shippers out there when they saw him wearing his like samurai garb because when you saw what a wide boy Kylo Ren is people lost their damn minds it's that's the thing is like these movies there's always been shipping there's always been people that ship different characters and like look we're more invested perhaps in the sort of overarching galactic conflict or maybe the world building but some folks when they saw those two hands just graze fingers tips just the tips across the galaxy that lit a fire inside of them that they felt was paid off in a certain way at least in rise of skywalker Listen. a very shakespearean way where and they do get to consummate the relationship with a kiss albeit a quick one before kylo ren eventually succumbs and i think that's the proper way to end his reign of terror because i look at kylo ren the same way that i look at darth vader at the end of return of the jedi where everybody wants to say that vader got redeemed at the end of return of the jedi and it's like well it's nice that he finally did us a solid by dumping the emperor down a shaft and apologizing but is that enough to make everybody comfortable with darth vader being like hey sorry i'm a good guy now so sorry about all that stuff sorry about the planets i'm i'm back don't worry i'm back so i, I think that darth vader did have to die and i think that kylo ren did have to die i, I i'm not gonna say oh no you got a lot of years ahead of you you did a lot of awful things kylo you deserve to pay for this with your life i mean I, I just don't know why you want to tongue kiss someone who you watch commit patricide. I just, I can't make that leap, but I get it. You know what? He's an emo white dude on the internet. They have, they have, they have their place. And well, shooting their bodies are changing. Their midichlorians are really active patricide. right now. But the thing, the thing, I like that scene. What like it should have been this like big romantic, like powerful moment. But it did make me laugh a little bit because it kind of felt like. 
you know, here's this uh, troubled young man who's leading uh, this incredibly far right group of space fascists who uh, the first time he realizes that women aren't bad and kisses a human woman, he immediately dies. It kills him to do that and like admit that he was wrong. Uh, and like, look, that's a obviously reductive way of looking at this, but it did take it took me out of the moment a little bit because I was like, wait, he, <laughs> he literally just died from a single kiss. Are you kidding me? All the force power in the world couldn't do yeah, well, the, the thing that The thing that I, I find myself laughing at with that scene, it, it, it takes nothing away from the power of it for me because I think it's it, it's a beautiful uh, usage of the, the newfound force healing powers that both Baby Yoda and Rey possess. And it was so funny because Kylo has to heal Rey or then Rey heals Kylo. It's like they're basically healing each other. Right. And I thought it'd be so funny if they just kept healing each other. They just kept putting their life into the other one. So they just keep resuscitating each other person. And we could do this all day. It's like, who's going to end up? Who's going to be the selfish one that says, okay, I'm not healing you again. You're now you're just dead. That's going to make it even Darth Maul's double sided lightsaber and just end it all. Oh, (laughs) my God. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. (laughs) Like this couple irritates me just thinking about it. I don't want to see it like that was what was so funny about the whole Raylo thing. I'm like, you know, this is the couple. Like, if they were an actual couple, you wouldn't invite them to dinner. You'd be like, you'd be like, <laughs> no. why, why are you dating him? He's so angry, girl. Like, he's so angry. Like, is it no. that good? Is he that good, girl? Like, and is, I'm is not, it that I, good? <laughs> I'm not even inviting one of them stag to a dinner party because yeah. if I invite Kylo, he's just going to be miserable, not talk to anybody. And if I invite Ray, she's just going to be in the living room communicating with Kylo on some foreign planet. And you're like, hey, Ray. Honey, we're, we're we're here now. We're, we're here. here. Now. Please, we're, we're, we're please put those flagstones down. I just had them put in my uh, my driveway. Like you're really just messing up my landscaping. <laughs> okay, one one last thing about this, and then we don't need to bag on the Raylo people because they do know how to find us. They live on the internet, and we don't want to say anything because it was a cute ship. I I I will always be happy for anyone who wants to find love in fandom. There you go. That being said. I went to see the movie with somebody who I've seen probably like 30 movies, like 30 premieres with. This person is somebody I see a lot of movies with. He's like a frequent plus one. And he told me, I have never seen you get so violently upset as you did when those two kiss. Like my eyes rolled to the back of the Dolby Theater. I was like, are you kidding me? I was so like, why? Why are we doing this? She doesn't need a I love you even more now that I know this because you and I, if you recall, Jacqueline, we're sitting right next to each other yep. at the premiere and, and Jacqueline knows what a big Star Wars fan I am and she, she, she bit her tongue. I did not hear the eyes roll in the back of her head and I appreciate that about you. But can we chalk that up as your least favorite scene in Rise of Skywalker, Jacqueline? Or is there something else that bugs you about this? Because you seem to have issues with this film. If I'm reading between the lines, it seems like you are not as big of a fan as I am. Because I think the tomato meter is wrong here. Uh, no, I would say the tomato meter is wrong, but for ways that will get me in trouble. So <laughs> I will just say this. This is a rotten movie. Sorry. Okay. It's an um, and, show. That's fine. And, and I will say this also. Uh, 
I love J.J. Abrams' filmography. Uh, he produced one of my favorite shows that came out recently this year, Lovecraft Country. I think Bad Robot does some incredible things with their female uh, filmmaker program. Super 8 is one of my all-time favorite films. The Man Made Felicity, which premiered the freshman year of high school for me when she was going to the freshman year of college. And in fact, for folks that are watching this on the internet... The 2009 Star Wars is actually on a poster in my background right now. I really love J.J. Abrams. I was so angry with him after watching this movie. I was beyond frustrated because I really felt that the entire movie was telling me that I was silly for liking the previous film. And Mm. the scene that really sort of illustrated that was when Mark Hamill grabs the lightsaber from Rey when she throws it in the sort of like ghost Luke scene that happens in the film, which is a direct contradiction to the Force Awakens moment where after Ray hands uh, Luke the lightsaber, he throws it over his shoulder. The Last Jedi. The, yeah, the, sorry, the Last Jedi. Jedi. Sorry, the last, yeah. Yeah, the last Jedi moment where he throws it over his shoulder. A Jedi's weapon deserves more respect. Master Skywalker, what are you doing? I'm like, man, y'all really did not like that movie. Okay, I have a response to that, but uh, Dan, l- let me get a moment that you did not like so much. I- if you consider this movie rotten, I'm sure that there's some things to choose from for you, scenes that really bothered you. Yeah, well, actually, um, speaking of J.J. Abrams, that is kind of part of my problem with this movie. Some of the narrative choices he made, not only in this movie, but in The Force Awakens. And it's not so much the narrative choice, but the way that he deploys them. For someone like J.J., who purports to love the mystery box as a narrative device, he does not trust or respect the audience in Star Wars to sit with their emotions for more than a smattering of seconds. My best in, my best example is happens in The Force Awakens. That movie's basically Star Wars plays the hits. You have some of the best moments from A New Hope, some of the best moments from Empire Strikes Back, all melded into one movie designed to get people back into the fold after maybe having an adverse reaction to the prequels when they first saw them. But... Let's talk about the reveal of uh, Kylo Ren being Ben Solo. The way it happens in the movie is we hear Leia and Han talking about their boy, immediately followed by this ham-fisted cut to Ben Solo, Kylo Ren, on his uh, First Order spaceship. And there's no shadow of a doubt that's who we're talking about. Then it's 30 more minutes before we finally see Han and Kylo encounter one another on Starkiller Base. If you are going to pay homage to these iconic moments... You should save that reveal until Han encounters Kylo on that bridge. And he asks, what do you think you'll see if I take off my mask? And he says, my son. That should be the first time you get that revelation. You pay homage to one of the greatest movie revelations of all time, that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. And it surprises the audience. People probably guessed it by that point. But you don't treat people like they're stupid. It sucks all the narrative energy and air out of the room. And he does that again twice in The Rise of Skywalker. The first time is when Chewbacca, you think he dies. It's this powerful moment where Rey shoots force lightning out of her fingers, accessing this part of herself that she's afraid of, this dark side energy. And she thinks she kills one of her dearest friends. (laughs) 
Now, your logical brain knows, okay, look, they just opened Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. They're probably not going to kill one of their most beloved characters. He's not going to walk around like this giant furry revenant scaring kids because no. he's a ghost now. <laughs> no, we, but, we do not kill the dog, okay? Exactly. No Star like, Wars movie kills the dog. Exactly. But and then you can like let people worry a little bit longer because you find out basically in the next scene that he's alive. There is no tension. It's immediately diffused. And then you're just waiting until like, okay, when are they going to find Chewbacca? He was on a convenient ship that looks exactly like that because they just pressed copy paste. But it's just so frustrating because it undermines any real tension there. And it makes you not really believe or respect that emotional turmoil that Ray is going through because we as the audience know that to be false. And you, also, I was going to ask you, do ahead. you think that's a symptom of JJ or is that a symptom of the fact that they just wanted to shove too much in it? I'd say a little bit of both, but if, I mean, JJ, he's the director. He also is one of the co-writers of the script. He did it before with The Force Awakens, so I have to think that he's more than okay with this. Like, look, if you write the script, you can move that scene like three or four scenes down and still get that same impact of relief, but you let people sweat it out a little bit and worry. Like... A lot, so many kids books and like stuff that is for all ages, cause Star Wars at the end of the day is not just for adults, it's for children as well. It's designed to be this like larger than life space fantasy. You like kids need to be able to understand and process death in a certain way, but also they need to have that relief when they find out a character they love like Chewbacca is alive and well. It doesn't need to come literally seconds later. My, uh, the other scene in this is, uh, another revelation. Um, but this time Kylo Ren is the one who gives it. It's when Kylo tells Rey point blank in another repudiation of The Last Jedi for some inexplicable reason that, oh, actually, your parents aren't nobody. You are Palpatine's granddaughter and his clone son or whatever escaped with another actor who's too good for this and uh, in this cameo role. And they uh, are now, look, you're the, you're the granddaughter of the most evil person across nine movies and 40 years of filmmaking. And... Instead of having Rey piece it together herself or Palpatine tell her when they're in their showdown, you find out so early, and I think it really just lets the air out of a lot of the tension of this movie. And this is a movie with so much happening in it that if you don't keep those stakes up and keep us on tenterhooks like that, I think you do yourself a disservice. And that is one of my biggest gripes with the movie and how J.J. deployed some of these narrative revelations. <sighs> That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch. Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. 
I think you make a great point with the, the Chewbacca scene. It, 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 it takes away some of the power of Rey discovering her Force Lightning ability, right? Because we see that, but then immediately we stop thinking about her Force Lightning. We're like, oh my God, they killed Chewbacca. So I'm actually glad. So I agree with you in that sense that we didn't need that. We, we didn't need to sweat that moment out at all. We got so much going on in this movie. We don't have to worry about the family dog dying for 10 minutes too. But that's why I was so relieved when they did let us know very quickly afterwards that Chewbacca is in fact alive and well, because this is not the end of the movie. This is not what the thing that we have to fight for. There's so much else going on that I'd prefer to focus on as opposed to, like you said, Dan, sweating it out, worrying about Chewbacca. And as far as the lightning scene goes, I, I, my, my look at that is that we're not trying to make it the biggest reveal, the Darth Vader, I am your father moment with Luke, with Ray being Palpatine's granddaughter, because I think part of that is probably the criticism that J.J. did get from The Force Awakens, where it was so much of a mirror of the original trilogy. But it also is, we most of us fans knew that that was going to happen from the moment at the beginning of the film when Kylo runs into Palpatine or Palpatine's body house and says and asks who is she and he smiles and it's like we all knew at that point anybody who's seen a star wars movie at that point knows that he's do he, he's related to her somehow yeah but you know who didn't know until even a couple weeks into the production of this movie because they kept changing their mind <laughs> the people making this movie, including Daisy Ridley, as she revealed in a recent interview. So yeah. I, I don't know. It's, I, again, like, look, if you're going to go that route with Palpatine, that's fine. Uh, and I have to disagree with you about the Chewbacca thing, because, look, this is supposed to be like the lightest, darkest before the dawn. Like everything is going to hell in a handbasket, culminating in this final showdown. If you think something horrifying happened to this character, you come to know and love over like so many movies now. Like, let us sweat it out for 10 minutes. We've wa we've been waiting for this for 40 years. And like, look, he gets murdered in the most horrifying way in a now no longer canon Star Wars Legends book, where yep. basically like uh, he just gets annihilated when something crashes into a planet that he's on. So he got hit by is, a moon, Dan. Let's not mince words. Let's not sorry, bury the headlines. He got hit. I thought that was no moon, but moon. I stand corrected. Uh, but in this case, I think it would have been better served if you let us sit with that for a moment and process these emotions instead of immediately being like, hey, hey, no, no, it's OK. Don't cry. Don't cry. It's fine. Jack, would you remember it, it, that was the one time and I hate talking during movies. That's why I love sitting by myself. But I was sitting next to Jack at the premiere and, and I leaned over to her. And that was the only words that I spoke to anybody during the movie is I leaned over and I said, there's no way they killed the dog. Yeah. Yes, I do remember this because I, I mean, I was I was pretty like, I mean, I hate to say this as a fan of Star Wars. I felt very pandered to. That was it. I know that some people wouldn't feel that, but it really like I was at some point watching. It's like, man, they really think we're dumb. Like they really think we think Chewie died. Like they think that for a, like we're going to believe this BS for a second because we've been force fed it and we're just we want Star Wars content. And it just didn't have to be that way. Like fans are sophisticated. They are smart. They can handle this information. And to your point, Dan, I don't think that they trusted the fans enough after what happened with uh, The Last Jedi. I think after The Last Jedi, they saw what happens when the fandom sort of is upset about something and they wanted to make sure it was very clear. Hey, guys, 
this is for you. We love you. We're not going to rock the boat. We're going to bring all the good things back. We're going to give you the greatest hits. We're going to give you Raylo. We're going to bring Han Solo back. We're going to give you the moment with Leia. We're going to give you all the good feels. We just won't give you a story. All right. So now we've gone through our, our favorite and some not so favorite scenes. There's a lot of other important topics that will always come up when you're talking about any Star Wars movie, especially Rise of Skywalker. The first one is that baton handoff between the movies in this new sequel trilogy. How was it handled? I think a lot of us have been kind of hinting at this issue is that it's a sloppy handoff from J.J. to Ryan first and then Ryan to J.J. And so to Jacqueline's point, I feel like you can you can lay just as much blame at Ryan Johnson's feet as you can at JJ. And I don't want to criticize either director too much because, again, I don't know how much they had to work with or what what pretenses they thought they were working under when they were making their films. But when Disney bought Star Wars in 2012 from George Lucas, they they bought that property and they said, "Okay, JJ is going to direct this one. And the original plan was to have three different directors do three different movies in a new trilogy. It was going to be JJ kicking us off and then Ryan Johnson and then Colin Trevorrow. And the fact that there was was Trank in all this. uh, Josh Trank was going to make a Boba Fett ish kind of movie, possibly. And that went away very quickly for a lot of, re- depending on okay. who you want to believe and how deep into the, the back page <laughs> columns you want to get. But with this, I feel like Ryan Johnson made his own movie. They, they let him go off and make his own movie. And I think that a lot of that could be interpreted as not an FU. I don't want to get that strong with the language here because I think that they respect each other's directors. But Ryan Johnson killed Snoke off halfway through The Last Jedi, where it does seem like that's the big baddie that J.J. was building up possibly for three movies. And so do I believe that it was all along going to be Palpatine was the grandmaster behind all this? No, I do not. I think that J.J. got a very handcuffed handoff of the baton when he was going to go make Rise of Skywalker, not just because Colin Trevorrow just dropped off, not just because Ryan Johnson had redconned some of the stuff that J.J. was trying to do, but also because Carrie Fisher had passed away and she was a major force in the original episode nine script. And so now you had to really do some script doctoring last minute. So I feel like when I watch Rise of Skywalker, I love the movie regardless of the behind the scenes of it all. Okay, but I can also give the movie even more of a pass because of all of the obstacles that J.J. Abrams had to get over to just get this movie to the finish line. But he asked to come back. Like, I mean, I get it, but he knew what he was dealing with when he asked to come back and direct the ninth one. I don't know if it's like asked to come back, but he knew he was getting handed off The Last Jedi. And whether you feel like he got dealt a bad deck of cards it's not like he didn't go into it knowing it so my question is didn't you come in with a pitch and if your pitch was i'm just gonna fix this that's a bad pitch if your pitch is control a delete that is a bad pitch because that's exactly what this movie did and i don't agree that uh ryan johnson uh bungled this handoff like basically he did, he, he course corrected in a lot of ways from many people's criticisms of The Force Awakens that it was just a like 
carbon copy of what we'd seen before, all these major Star Wars beats. Oh, you want a Death Star? We have a Death Star. Oh, you want a revelation about parentage? We have that. Oh, you want a hero who's going on a reluctant hero's journey from a desert planet? Guess what? You're going to love this. And it was a good move because they needed to win shareholders and fans over to this billion, multi-billion dollar franchise that they purchased. They wanted to make into the next Marvel for them. And they did a good job with that in terms of a safe entry point. But then Ryan Johnson with The Last Jedi took some big risks. He democratized the idea that there isn't necessarily a chosen one. It doesn't matter. You don't have to be one of these six families that we've heard about for so many years. The Force can appear in anyone and anyone can make a difference in this galaxy if they are willing to rise to the occasion and stand in the face of evil. And then, you know, people online got mad about it. And look, they're entitled to get mad about it. But the way that it culminated in the rise of Skywalker was market forces acting on narrative in a way that I think undermined the goal of the entire trilogy, because the entire sequel trilogy doesn't just need to be this cyclical story to which Star Wars is to a certain degree. But you can do some interesting stuff with that that I think ultimately kind of got lost in the sauce because everyone was worried about making sure that people were happy happy, they were going to put butts in seats, and people were going to go to the theme parks. And I, I think at the end, you just kind of neutered its potential for a, a, a meaningful narrative and just kind of got these these moments that stand out. But as a whole, it, it doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Like, these are not movies I'm excited to go back and rewatch as a trilogy, much the same way that I'm not excited to rewatch Game of Thrones, because I know the ending kind of undermines what comes before it in a certain way. It's interesting you you bring this up because what I want to clear up is that I I love The Last Jedi, too. And and a lot of times you get you get painted into this corner when you're defending one of these new sequel movies that you have to love one and you cannot adore the other one. And for the reasons that you mentioned is, is why I applauded The Last Jedi. And so I wasn't sitting there saying, oh, my God, they killed Snoke poor JJ, but it was like, okay, where are we going to go from here? Who is our big bad going to be? And so I feel like you didn't have a lot of options is the point because it's very hard to introduce just a new character to be the big bad in episode nine when we're trying to close out again, not just the movie, not just the trilogy, not nine movies. And do we have a decision to make? Do we either make it Kylo Ren is just going to be ultimate evil or do we bring back somebody they already know is evil so that we can just finish this thing out? And and getting to the finish line, Jacqueline, is something that I feel like maybe was a goal of of Disney and that somewhere along the way, some of the cast felt marginalized by the fact that they weren't contributing enough in getting these movies to the finish line. Well, I mean, I mean, John Boyega recently had a very big interview with GQ where he was pretty pointed and called out what happened with his character. Because if you look at it, remember The Force Awakens? He was on billboards holding a lightsaber with like it over his shoulder. And from the minute the trailer came out, there was a lot of horrible things that happened to him online. Him in the first one and then later with Rose in the second one. And it was really, really vitriolic. And it really sucks for these actors because they're just trying to make a movie. And they didn't write the script. They're just trying to act the words that were put on the page. And it was really disappointing what he said. um, And I quote was just that they did not protect the actors from what happened. And and that is kind of, I think, what, what he kind of 
essentially talked about after it was all said and done. Because if you look at where his character goes over the three movies, you can't call that a plan. Uh, at one point, he looked like he was about to be a huge part of the series. And then by the time you get to the third film, he's barely in it. Same thing with Rose. And so I, I think there's a lot to be said for that. Um, I do think you can't just can't just put people in these movies and not put an infrastructure around it. And I will make it something as basic as like hiring in an office. If you are trying to, you know, diversify your workforce and you hire one person and they don't have an infrastructure around them to protect them. So when they can raise their hand and say, hey, this doesn't quite gel. Guess what? They're gone. And that's what happened with John Boyega. But the one cool thing that I think got taken care of on the other side of this is him speaking out in that GQ article. Disney called him in and they had a very frank discussion with him. And it looks like going forward, they're going to be a bit more proactive to not just make sure that there's plenty of fan service and like Easter eggs in these movies, but also making sure that they use their billion dollar muscle to make sure that we combat negativity online because nobody signed up for that. And that goes for Star Wars. It goes for anything. I think that's the biggest thing, Dan, is it's less, for me anyway, it's less, did you like where your character ultimately went? Which you get, which is a fair criticism to lob. But especially if you're the one that has to go through it and feel like you're getting promised one thing and then you end up not getting as many pages or, or having that hero arc that you thought you, you had. But more importantly to me, it's just the, the, the amount of toxicity online that particularly got directed towards Kelly Marie Tran after The Last Jedi, yeah. where it's like you, you, you as a company need to step in and, and be able to handle this better than just having a hands off. Oh, that's just that's just online. It'll blow over. Yes. Yeah, it's it's un- an unfortunate trend uh, with the rise of the Internet and especially the rise of social media platforms like Twitter, for example, where I, I equate it to it's like the death of nuance. It's like someone is shouting the word nuance into a wind tunnel and there's no room for discussion. <laughs> Everyone just needs to immediately come back with a dunk or a hot take and not even have a discussion. Mm-hmm. But there's also been this rise as you get more access to creators and stars. You can tweet something at them and they see it instantly on their phone. There's this parasocial relationship that develops. And in many cases, it takes on a toxic nature because people feel entitled to access, to dictate the course of the things they love and the people who create the things they love. And that's not the case. You are an audience member. You are a consumer. You can certainly be critical of the things you love. And I implore you to be critical of the things you love because that's how you become a better, smarter uh, more well-rounded person who engages with the things they love in a meaningful way. But you can't tell someone to kill themselves because you didn't like how their character was portrayed or how a uh, story arc played out. That is grotesque, irresponsible, troglodytic behavior that, like... If that's how you're going to react to something and talk to another human being, please just walk into the ocean and come out feeling refreshed and think about what you did and why you act this way. Get therapy. I urge you. Ask yourself why you are the way that you are and try to be a better person because that is no way to live. Very, very well said. And then don't uh, add on to it when that person might actually reply to you. And then you say, oh, I was just kidding. Big fan. Didn't think you'd see this. Like, come on, be be fair about some of this. And and, and, and if you're Disney, you, you can't say, oh, well, we don't pay attention to that. When as a fan of Rise of Skywalker and Last Jedi, I will say it's clear you do pay attention to the fans because some of this stuff seems like course correction based on how the fans felt about this. Now, if, if we look at the 
the the the movie itself, The Rise of Skywalker. I think it's important whether you're a critic or a fan to be able to sit down and enjoy a movie without replaying in your head all of the backstory and trauma that went into making the film. And there's obvious exceptions to it, but in the same way that I'm a monster Van Halen fan, and every time I saw them on the reunion tour, did I think that Dave and Eddie were having fun backstage? No. Do I think that they were enjoying each other's company? No. Do I think they were yelling at each other? Probably. But they were on stage together, and that made me happy. And seeing the performance made me happy. And seeing everybody, at least the big three to me, feel like they bought into The Rise of Skywalker from the product I'm seeing on screen, that was something that I will always cherish because it did make me happy to see them all on an adventure again, uh, again to wrap everything up. And so... I think that it is so tough but necessary for us to sometimes disseminate what is our issue with the production house that led to the creation of this and then what the actual film itself is. Because I consider Rise of Skywalker a great solo Star Wars movie if it's not the perfect end to a very maligned plan for a trilogy. It didn't help that after the movie came out, it seemed like that that picture of the Spider-Mans where they're all pointing at each other. Like nobody seemed to have their their story straight. You know, JJ says he's grateful for the changes that Ryan Johnson made. Chris Terrio, the other co-writer, is blaming ILM for the way that Leia was shoved in. The editor is talking about how it was rushed and halfway through, Kathleen Kennedy comes in and says things need to change on this edit. And all of this came out right after the movie came out, to the point where J.J. just stopped doing interviews, which is not normal (laughs) for a post-film coming out of this caliber. Because if you remember The Force Awakens, J.J. did a lot of interviews after the success of that. He's on The Tonight Show talking about this and talking about that. And they do this thing when a movie's successful after it comes out. They then go back and like they talk about it in a spoilerly way. Um, We didn't do any of that. (laughs) We didn't go back and talk about any of that. And so... I think some of that was that what was the just the fan toxicity that you couldn't escape. I, I think that the the last Jedi just left a permanent mark, and Solo didn't help matters uh, yeah. by that being being Russian and, and its own interesting production backstory. And so there's so many things, particularly Dan, as Star Wars fans online, where these movies get so much more scrutiny from pre-production, from set photos. Then I would say maybe Marvel films are now on that scale, but there's so much that we're studying. And the only thing that I would caution any fan of any franchise into something that I have to stop myself from doing is, is you have to speculate responsibly. And, and it's very tough to write your own fan fiction as to what you wanted to see in this new trilogy and then have that align with what you're actually seeing. So with Star Wars, it's easier for me because I've loved these movies since I can remember. And so I just look at them as a living history of what happened in a galaxy far, far away. As, but but it, it's not to say I don't have a critical eye towards it. It's just that am I a fair critic of Star Wars movies? I think yes. But do I also root for Star Wars? Hell yes. Mm. No, I think that's fair. It's sometimes it's easier to be more forgiving uh, for the things that you love. Like, I feel like I'm certainly that way when it comes to Marvel movies, because I have a very sort of deep seated passion for those comics. I grew up reading them with my dad. So I can definitely appreciate that uh, sort of viewpoint. Um, I, I think with this, um, there was really no way you were going to end a trilogy like Star Wars, especially the sequel trilogy, in a way that was going to please everybody. Uh, But it just felt like I wish they had committed to a more, what felt like a more consistent arc throughout the trilogy. And I think that's where 
as a viewer and also as someone who has to sort of follow the behind the scenes as well. It just gave me a little bit of whiplash because, you know, it, your your brain is like considering, OK, well, I know this happened and this happened, but you're also trying to view a movie honestly. You're trying to put yourself in the shoes and just take it at face value. And it was hard to take some of these choices at face value. I had a good time uh, during certain scenes. I, I didn't hate the movie. I just didn't love it like I wanted to. And that, I think, hurt more than anything. Well, the real question here is, is there a uniting force in Star Wars in the future? Is it going to be Yoda or, or is the Internet going to tear itself apart if his name is is Yanni and not Laurel? Like, yes. is there going to be an <laughs> what issue? What you just said. No, it's it's going to be this way for forever, Mark. And it's not going to change because tribalism is real. We will have <laughs> I'm serious. Like there know, will always be different sides of it because what we our last episode, Mike um was talking uh, Mike was talking about how there's all of this hate for endgame. There will always be clicks and money to be made by saying that the thing that somebody loves is actually bad. I saw an article the other day doing a teardown of It's a Wonderful Life. And I'm like, this is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, well, is there a wonderful life in, in, in the future of Star Wars movies then? Because I've also seen a lot of people say they just rather have Star Wars done as narratives on television and streaming services because that, that allows you somehow to tell a story. But I do not agree with that at all. But and I'm excited about all these new possible movies that are coming out. Do we have a pitch out there uh, from from Dan, from Jacqueline? Where oh, does Star 100. Wars go from here? Hundred um, percent, and I agree with you. There's no way that Star Wars is abandoning the theater. It's too big of a franchise, and there is still so much potential out there. Remember, in spite of the fact that we've had nine movies about the Skywalker family, the Skywalker saga, this is still a galaxy far, far away. There's so many stories that are still to be told. It's part of the reason people are resonating uh, with the Mandalorian so much. And I think uh, what I'd really like to see is something that could split the difference between. Um, stuff that we have not seen before and also um, paying homage to an era that fans really love. And that is a trilogy set in the Old Republic, which is thousands of years before the events of the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy. Sort of these ancient days of Jedi and Sith, these elemental battles when they were sort of at war with one another. And I think that could be something that's really fascinating to see. It would feel so distant from everything else that we know is going to come in the galaxy far, far away. And I think it would let us um, sort of play to Star Wars's strengths in many different ways while still feeling fresh. Because if I see another movie set during this same like 60, 50 year period of time, I'm going to scream. I don't mm. care about it anymore. I like the man after the Mandalorian. Do not give me anything else set during the era of the like of the like galactic civil war. I don't want to see it. <laughs> Jacqueline, uh, do you want one more movie about the separatists and the Trade Federation or do you want to go somewhere else? I'm going to be really simple because, look, I yes, I I put some words up on RottenTomatoes.com, but I'm not going to pretend that I'm the greatest screenwriter in the world. And I know I gave it a lot for J.J. and Chris Terrio, but they're just trying to make the best movie that they can. And I know it's I really hard. I put some hard. words up on Rotten Tomatoes. You work under extreme deadlines. <laughs> you put a lot on your plate and you always finish it and have room for dessert. Well, so don't sell that. yourself short. I appreciate that. But what I will say is I'll keep it simple. Um, recently... Uh, Kathleen Kennedy came out and said that she was upset that Nia DaCosta, the director of a very 
awesome uh, independent film called Little Wood. She's also the director of Candyman, which has been pushed back, but I know mm-hmm. uh, from the little bit that I've seen that it's going to be brilliant. And she has just been tapped to direct Captain Marvel 2. And when that was announced, Kathleen Kennedy came out and said that she was devastated that they could not hire Nia DaCosta first. And I'm going to put a positive spin on this and say that Kathleen Kennedy runs Lucasfilm and she can hire whoever she wants. And so I hope that she brooks her devastation by finally hiring a woman or more, more, um, I would say, hopefully a woman of color to direct a Star Wars film. Because currently, Victoria Mahoney as the second AD on Rise of Skywalker and some directors on The Mandalorian are the only women who've been able to direct these, these characters. And... Yeah, that should change. So and by, let that be by the my way, hope. those episodes of, of The Mandalorian were fantastic. So yes. I, I, I would I would like to see Star Wars go um, somewhere to Dan's point. I'm going to take it to the ultimate extreme where not only do I not want to see any more stories in this 60 year window, I want to see it so far away. I want to see it so, so far. Maybe I'll accept a high school-aged Yoda with, with a cute little varsity jacket <laughs> is the only character that I need to see from, from this trilogy. And it's not because I, I'm sick of it. I'll go back and watch these movies all the time. But the more you cram into this lore, I'm more offended. The Palpatine coming back is one thing. The fact that they keep cramming new adventures that Darth Vader had somewhere into the books <laughs> and the comic books. At some point, did anybody ever just, it just eat or or take a dump or sleep. You're no, working too care much. Of that. <sighs> yeah, yeah, it's it's right. It's just his little Sith bath that he does on his. Uh, yeah, y'all, on his y'all are wanting truck. so much. I'm a simple girl. Just let's just. I want to see a Star Wars movie directed by a woman. I just. I think there's some stories to be told. Here, you here. Know? Let me get a Lynn Ramsey Star Wars movie. It'll be can, fun. Oh my Trust can I, and yes. best. Can, can I tell you what I really want? What, what my one wish is is for this episode of the podcast to go nine hours but unfortunately (laughs) we don't quite have that amount of time which means that i can't go into an in-depth explanation that luke in uh rise of skywalker is not a repudiation against luke in the last jedi because yes he throws his lightsaber away the beginning of last jedi by the end he realizes that yes the lightsaber is the weapon of a jedi and that it is important to be a jedi and maintain the force in the galaxy and so he's actually very consistent with the ending of last jedi versus his force ghost in rise of skywalker we don't have time to get into that we don't have time to get into all those things so i will simply say as jacqueline's (laughs) eyes roll even further in the back of her head than they did at the premiere when she had to sit next to a sweating tub of fanboy goo that is he's light Mark skipping right now <laughs> uh dan casey it has been a pleasure not just to have you on the show but just to catch up with you my man i, I know you got a lot of big things going on and and 2020 has been a very difficult year but i applaud you for being able to not only maintain what you've had but also to build upon your little empire and i mean that not in the galactic sense but in a very rebellious <laughs> fighting for justice sense yeah. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you folks having me on. It was a blast to talk about uh, Star Wars with you guys. Um, where can uh, all the kids find all your projects? And more importantly, where can everybody go out and get your Star Wars book, which I'm sure it's available at, at a bunch of different places. This is the book that you get for everybody for Christmas. Okay. A hundred things Star Wars fans should know and do before they die. Where can everyone pick that up? Well, you can find that um, from my publisher, Triumph Books. You can find that Barnes & Noble, Amazon, wherever's most convenient for you. If you just like shout outside your apartment window, I might hear you and, draw by, and drive by and just 
hand you a copy of the book, but you have to be really loud for it. So good luck. Um, but otherwise, you can find me online at Dan Casey on Twitter at osteoferocious like the crippling bone disease, but meaner on Instagram. And you can find me each and every day on Nerdist.com. We have all sorts of amazing stuff, especially if you love Star Wars and the galaxy far, far away. We're covering the Mandalorian in depth, all sorts of theories, explainers, deep dives, you name it. We've got it. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you for a recommendation, but I was going to put the caveat. You're not allowed to say the Mandalorian. So what else should people be watching? Okay, so if you love Star Wars, remember back in The Force Awakens when uh, they are seeing when uh, Han Solo is squaring off with members of Kanja Club and other of those uh, thugs that are after him uh, when uh, they're trying to like collect on a debt that he has welched on. Um, so a lot of those uh, gentlemen in that scene are uh, stunt performers and fighters uh, from Indonesia who appear in movies like The Raid, Redemption, and The Raid 2. And if you're a fan of absolutely kick-ass action, just visceral, like, bloodthirsty action, I cannot recommend those two movies enough. They are so awesome. The Raid Redemption is so awesome. Dread basically is a two-hour cover of that movie. It's just people kicking butt, taking names in some of the most badass fight scenes ever committed to film. So highly recommend those two in particular. So there's a loose connection to Star Wars as well. There you go. I remember when they were cast uh, in in Star Wars, and we're like, oh my God, we're going to get awesome martial arts in outer space. And they, they show up for a scene, and we tell it to Concha Club, and then we're all gone. But uh, yeah, yeah I, I, <laughs> I heartily co sign Dan's recommendation. Uh, Jacqueline, it's been a pleasure. I, I, I've been looking forward to talking about Rise of Skywalker for a long time. I know you may not have been on the same exact page, but I think you adjudicated your points well. And look at this, Jacqueline. We had a nice civil discussion about a Star Wars movie on a podcast and we're still friends that's cute i appreciate that i'm glad that we could find our way to still you know have have differences of opinion but come together especially with this movie it's such an important movie to me and it's such an important uh saga to my family it's like the force unites everybody in a galaxy far far away star wars is that force for the ellis family and so it was a very emotional personal journey for me but i really do end up upon rewatching it like the film so um, and hey and everybody else can do as well and make their own determinations don't listen to me don't listen to mark don't listen to dan you can go to voodoo or fandango now and download buy or stream rise of skywalker and figure out where you land because you know what we are just a podcast where we discuss it you have the power the force is in all of you to make the ultimate decision right uh, I thought you were borrowing from uh, from He-Man there. I have no. Um, that is at that Jacqueline. I am at Mark Ellis Live. And we love hearing from you. So email us anytime at rtiswrong at rottentomatoes.com. How did we do on this show? Did you like the discussion that we talked about the rise of Skywalker? And more importantly, what movies do you want to hear us discuss in the future? What sort of guests do you want? How soon can we get Dan Casey back? Let us know all of your thoughts and opinions. rtiswrong at Rotten tomatoes.com and next week Jacqueline I know it's a movie near and dear to your heart it is the season of giving and it happens to be about a little boy who is lost in New York do you have any sense of what this could be the streets are numbered (laughs) I stole that from John Mulaney but it's true very good point how do you get lost home alone too the streets are numbered it's a grid system it's a grid system up and over okay as a 
the guy who goes to New York quite often, uh, Kevin McAllister did not have a great experience, or did he? As it all turns out, he met a president, and then he also got to meet a homeless lady with pigeons. We'll talk about all of it in next week's episode of RT is Wrong. For the entire gang here, Jacqueline Coley, Lucy Bruckner, Tim Ryan, Dan Casey, our special guest, I am just Mark Ellis, reminding you that the Force will be with you always. Always.